Welcome back to the Performance Bicycle Podcast. Bikes, beers, and burritos. We got our beers today. Got a nice little little sip going. Sierra Nevada for me. I got a nice Oktoberfest, which is just about in season. So enjoying it. That's really just about out of season. Uh, I guess it is, huh? Yeah, October twenty seventh. Was... They don't do a Thanksgiving fest though. Celebration. Oh, celebration. Yeah, cel- okay. cel- it is celly season. Celebration is out on Celly season. Right now. Yeah, that's wild. I'm. I feel like it was just summer. Maybe it's because we were just in Tahiti that it was like. Yeah. The weather was hot and warm and. <laughs> Boy, am I glad to be back though. <laughs> it's, it is so much cooler now, and yeah, for for more reasons than one. <laughs> exactly. But. My name is Jeffrey. I am the host today again. And with us we have... I'm Ryan. And I'm Jack. And we're going to cover an interesting topic today. The main topic of discussion is going to be the one bike to rule them all or the quiver killer. Is it an actual thing? Jack, what do you think? I haven't tested it myself yet, but I wouldn't be opposed to trying it one day. The one bike to rule them all. Ryan? Yeah, I, I think uh, we hear about it all the time. People, bikes, we've said it before, bikes are expensive, you know, and, and you get a garage full of them. Sometimes you just get this, I, there's this inkling of this idea that, you know, one bike maybe is my preferred bike anyway, so why would I own two and three and four if I can make that one do everything? Have you attempted the one bike to rule them all? I actually have attempted this before, yes. I uh, I had... A bunch of bikes get stolen out of my garage and got some insurance money. I was like, you know what? I'm going to the frame builder. Now's the time. Like, why would I go buy a bunch of bikes when I could buy one bike to rule them yeah, all? Yeah, that's not even just buying, though. That's getting one custom built. I was getting one yeah, that's taking to the next level right yeah. there. Ultimate yeah. quiver killer. Ultimate quiver killer. I think So I guess I think the thing with the one bike to rule them all is, I and mean, we should preface a little bit, this is one drop handlebar bike to rule them all. The bike that you could use for riding on road. No, 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 no. We're talking the... downhill runs <laughs> <Yeah>. all <laughs> the way to crit racing. This is your commuter. This is your touring bike. No, it's, yeah, this is this is going to be in, yeah. in one half of that spectrum. This, right? this is covering drop bar specific bikes because, quite frankly, you can't ride single track on the same bike you race a crit on. So, yeah, drop bar bikes, gravel. Depends who you ask, I guess. Sem- <laughs> <laughs> Not if you want the bike to hold up. Fair. Yeah, it's all about that longevity. If you're spending your money, you don't want to be breaking stuff. Well, we've said it before, like right now in, in this drop bar category, road bikes, gravel bikes, all that, This the, I say it, you know, the Venn diagram is super messy. You have this category of bike called all-road bike, which is kind of not clearly defined yet. I feel like the all-road bike is kind of phasing out. It was around for a little bit. Same thing with the endurance bike category. Like they're kind of dissipating. They are, they are, because there's so much mm-hmm. overlap within the gravel bike category. Yeah. Uh, are, I think un, are there any specific unroad bikes out there yet? <laughs> the BWR bikes? Un-road? The BWR bikes. I don't really think so. I mean, there's still those those companies that are... No, I, w- I would say there's no unroad bikes. It's just that road bikes now have this massive clearance. I mean, most road bikes you can clear say. at least a 32. Well, Jeff, what's your tarmac fit for tires right now? Uh, I got 32s on it right now, the yeah. 32 Mondos, and it still has a little bit of clearance. That's on the new SL8. The new oh, SL8, the SL8 yeah. yeah. The SL8, SL7. Yeah, there's same. room to spare in that, too. Like, there is. That's what I'm saying is you could probably get 34s. some, like, 34s, 35s on there. Yeah. 
And I think that's part of what's making this Venn diagram that much more messy. Like you said, mm -hmm. is already even a thing. Well, if your tarmac clears 32s for riding in the off season or maybe 34s, what's an all-road bike for? What's an endurance bike for? And the other side of this is you got a gravel bike. It'll fit narrow tires. What Do you even need a road bike at all? Always. Always. Yeah, because you can't rail a descent like you can on a road bike, on a gravel bike, when it comes to pavement at least. So really the issue then is more geometry. As far as I'm concerned, yes. The geometry is everything whenever it comes to actually riding a bike. So I guess the question on this all-road thing is, can it be done? And all, that almost is going to be user-dependent, right? Of like, if you're the person who isn't out on crit courses on the weekend, you're not railing turns and descents, then maybe your gravel bike is your primary one bike to rule them all bike, and it's good enough on the road even though it's not ideal. Yeah, I think it's important to decide what you're trying to make the bike do and pick the window you're trying to make it fit in because it's pretty rare to have someone racing crits and doing like extreme adventure off-road gravel. Totally. I was like, you kind of got to shift it one way or the other and you can usually get someone's pretty close, I feel like. See, up at the Cascade Gravel Grinder <clears throat> this last year, that stage one TT, I chose to ride the road bike. I threw some like 32s on the road bike. And how did that go? I flatted. <laughs> <laughs> so not ideal but it got the job done i after doing that i don't think that was probably the fastest way to go though mm -hmm. because it was snowy it was muddy bigger tires and a little bit more comfort would have been nice on that even on that short little race well i think too it seems to me like whether it's the industry selling us it or not there's kind of a shift in this idea that wider tires are faster we've seen that for years now right like mm -hmm. when i first started riding it was on road it was 700 by 23s when you were first right it was 25s now we're all on 28s and then they were saying if you're heavier bigger even wider and wider and wider so you know between disc brake well i guess what what makes all road or excuse me a, a one bike to rule them all possible some of the facets are disc brakes make it more viable than before right mm -hmm. more, uh, more con a thing you could consider because that changes tire clearance where when we were on rim brake bikes before you were limited to what that caliper could clear that's true without switching yeah. brakes yeah because road bikes had the caliper brake if you had a cross bike back because back then they weren't even gravel bikes were not a thing there no, was a no. cross bike potentially you had canties but again yeah, a cross bike wasn't necessarily a road bike or a gravel bike. I mean, see, now there's just so many different categories because there still are cross bikes. And the mm -hmm. lines are slowly getting blurred, but there's still, there's gravel, there's cross, there's road, there's unroad, there's ev anything you could possibly imagine. Is it just a ploy to get people to buy more bikes? In some ways, I think it could be. Um, we've talked about this a little bit as it pertains to gravel, right? Being Having come up as a roadie, the gearing on my bike stayed the same. The tires that I liked, no matter what race we were doing, pretty much stayed the same. The bike didn't get much tuning for race day specifically. Now, Jeffrey, you've got that background coming from the world of cross-country racing, on the mountain bike, high school racing, and you guys were kind of tuning your bikes to the course to a degree, right? Yeah, we were changing tires going into races depending on if it was going to be, we could go a little bit lighter casing just to drop some weight if it wasn't going to be a course where you might puncture you know you were trying to do everything to gain the slightest advantage i mean to the degree that maybe you know where you get into the suspension air pressure handlebar width any of that kind of stuff not so much changing handlebar width 
pertaining to the race. Um, but there were various things. I mean, suspension, unless you really went up in elevation, I ran it the same every time. I was, I, I was into the tech back then, but not really into the tech. I was more just out there to smash the pedals. Well, and you're a high school kid. You only had yeah. some yeah. <laughs> exactly. like, too. It wasn't like you had a pro mechanic there just swapping everything out for you. I guess with that, what I'm getting at is the gravel, to me, and this is what we've discussed, feels closer to cross-country mountain biking in the equipment mm-hmm. that you do tend to choose your equipment for the course a bit more. You're, you're maybe, what we often see, I would say it's less about the exact correct tread and more about how wide of a tire should I run today seems to be the question that a lot of people are running. I think the casing of the tire does come into play there too. You know, I've seen like the Pathfinder is a very popular tire. Right. We see it all over the place and they have the pro version and they Mm -hmm. have the S works version. I would highly recommend anyone who is riding somewhere where you could potentially puncture, get a a pinch flat, anything like that. You go with the pro. The little Mm -hmm. bit of extra weight is worth the extra durability. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That makes sense. But with all that, you know, if we're swapping tires for the race, making sure that the width is correct, you've got, you know, the right amount of tread, um, you've got a casing that makes sense. We're also seeing at the highest level in gravel right now, highest level in U.S. gravel this lifetime, Grand Prix, really unique setups coming down Mm -hmm. from those pro riders where you've got maybe mullet builds, but mullets, the mullet that we see now under rider like Keegan is totally different than the mullet we saw when Shram first got going. You know, the size of the front chain ring is astronaut. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's, I, I still want to know how they do that. Like, <clears> he, <throat> yeah. he threw a 40 on his cross-country bike for Leadville. Like, right. Yeah. They, the, we need the secrets on that one. Exactly. The frame clearance, according to manufacturer specs, is like a 36. Yeah, that's not... We're not, like, slightly bigger. We're a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. The giant Revolt has a max clearance of a 38. Yep. <laughs> That's insane. A gravel yeah. bike with a 38 max tooth in the front. So I guess getting, staying on topic here, then this one bike to rule them all, you're going to have to, if you want one bike to rule them all, really be thoughtful about what you want to do. And then you need to be thoughtful about what bike you pick. The, the Revolt's a mm-hmm. prime example. If it truly can only fit mm-hmm. a 38 tooth chain ring, are you willing to use a a double, a two by in the front, two chain rings and a front derailleur, or are, if you're dead set on going one by, which I feel like the Quiver Killer one bike to rule them all is probably a one by bike, is a 38 going to do it for your purposes? But is the Quiver Killer a one by bike? That's that's that's, that's really the real right real question. That is a great segue. So, if you were to choose a one Quiver Killer to do the majority of your drop bar riding, what would you choose? I would have a front derailleur on it. Yeah, I would agree. Just because I feel like we also lean a bit more road riding too, where Absolutely. front derailleurs, it hopefully sticks around on the road. I hope the initiative doesn't kick it off on the road bikes as well. But I think you almost need a front derailleur if you're really going to compete on the roads. And even for like your local group rides and stuff, being able to stay up, stay up to the front of those groups. See, whenever it comes to actual racing, I'm not sure there is going to be a one bike quiver killer. Because yeah. mm-hmm. if you're trying to race, you're trying to maximize everything for that discipline. Mm-hmm. And if you're on the road, you're going to want full-on road gearing. You're going to want a light aero bike more than likely. And then on the gravel, you're going to want the tire clearance of a gravel bike. Whether you can clear big tires on your road bike or not, it's important to have the mud clearance. Mm-hmm. Because this right. year we've had a couple gravel races where you go through this like peanut butter mud that just cakes up on your bike. 
Right. And even on a gravel bike for Huffmaster, I had 45s and I had tons of clearance around them. You got to points in the course where you couldn't push your bike next to you because it was so caked with mud. Yeah. Yeah. But how, was, how much clearance would you have needed? Like, it, are you screwed either way? For, for something like that, oh, yeah. I think you would have wanted a gravel bike with like 32s. So you just have a ton of clearance because there was a lot of paved stuff there. And that's, once again, that gets back to your point of like, it's very tailored to where you're going, mm-hmm. yeah. what you're trying to do. And we weren't there, but we also know Unbound this year was a mud fest as well. And I saw, and I'm sure a lot of you all saw, horror story pictures of people who'd wore through like their chain stays or their fork mm-hmm. because of, like you said, you know, if you only had so much clearance, even if you had a lot of clearance, once the mud packs up in there, it starts wearing down the material. So... Yeah, that's. I think playing with tires and and having the optimized equipment for the race is a really good perspective and a good point that if you are looking for the quiver killer bike, but you're also a competitor, it's gonna be tougher. Uh, other side of that coin though is what if you're not a competitor? Right. What if you like going and doing events? You know, your idea of going to a gravel grinder is is um, challenging yourself. It's the accomplishment of finishing. It's going out with your buddies and and doing a fun event. Is the quiver killer is the one bike to rule them all more viable for that rider. I think that's w- the one type of rider that it is viable mm-hmm. for. If you are just trying to go to an event and enjoy it, you're okay with maybe a little bit of extra weight. If you're going to a gravel event, I mean, you're not, if you have a gravel bike, you're not going to be overgunned. Right. If you go to say a grand Fondo, you don't care if you're losing 10 seconds, 20 seconds here on a climb mm-hmm. or something like that. So it's more than you, you definitely would rather go towards the gravel bike route. I would think if you're trying to do the one bike to rule them all. Yeah. So the question there, I was thinking of like how much clearance on your road bike would you need? Yeah. Like what is like, what would you consider to be able to run, go do most gravel rides? What would you need to clear on your road bike to be able to cover that? spectrum of writing again it's just like <laughs> I, I don't know that these are questions you can fully answer well, what would you say like what would what could See, you well, ride most got, gravel got rides a, on? i think i've got an answer to mm-hmm. that. it seems to me like the most common gravel dedicated tire width at this point is somewhere straddling the fence between a 38 and a 40 millimeter that Mm -hmm. is like the number that is going to come stock on bikes oem that's what people default to you're going to see guys go wider for certain courses and narrower for others but it seems to center around kind of 38 40 so Mm -hmm. if you're double purposing your bike you'd need a road bike that probably can clear at least a 40 don't worry about the 45s Mm -hmm. and mud clearance just like can you fit a 40 in there i think that'd be the you're not going to find a road bike that clears a 40 I got one right here. You got custom. That's, custom that's the one bike to rule them all. <laughs> How did that work out for you? So, yeah, but you asked that question earlier. I, I have I have tried doing the one bike to rule them all with this custom frame. And again, Jack mentioned it, more road leaning, you know, road racer. So I was like, man, I'm so comfy on my road bike. I've always found even under biking on the road bike off road that the geometry didn't bother me that much. If that's the bike I put all the miles on, that's the one I want to use. So I initially set it up with the Campy Ecker group so I could run it one by and had 13 speeds in the back. It's got a, a little baby nine tooth cogs. So you have pretty high gears. And it was just, 
the the jumps and the shifting with the 13 speed were okay on flatter group rides. It wasn't as bad as I was expecting it was going to be, but keeping that thing aligned with all those gears was was tough. Um, and then I would run out of a high gear in more instances like a, a pedally descent or a really mm. big tail. What's wind. the size of the chainring you had on the front? That one I was running a 44 tooth chainring with a nine to 42 in the back. So a 44.9. Mm-hmm. Which is a pretty tall gear. It's it's close to a compact, like a 50.11. It's a little under, if I'm not mistaken, I'd have to look. I can actually check on a gear calculator. But aside from the gearing, the other challenges I ran into was it really is road geometry. And so if you put wide tires on and you went to ride off-road, it was wide. It fit those tires, but it didn't fit them with healthy clearance. So if you had anything muffy mm-hmm. or dirty, you were like, Ugh, I'm really feel like I'm wrecking my bike. Um, and then, yeah, like the, I, I like underbiking just like we all do on the road bike off road, but my underbiking's never as fast as riding the right bike for the job. So be, mm-hmm. you go to like some gravel thing. It's like the bike can do it, but I wasn't doing it quickly. <laughs> so you did get a custom steel bike built. Steel is yep. real. Steel is real. But if it was carbon, do you think it would have felt different or made it a little bit more lively? Uh, do you think that would have changed anything? That might have changed some of it too. Yeah, coming from, you know, plastic bikes, race bikes, carbon race bikes that feel really snappy or really light. This was not that. And the bonus is over the course of a long day, this bike is super, super comfy. It's really plush. It's It feels great. But when you want to stand up and get out of the saddle, which, you know, arguably doesn't happen that often in a gravel event or something, it just mm-hmm. doesn't have that same get up and go. Um it, it's, it just wasn't quite as lively. So again, in the purpose of thinking through competition, you're like, yeah, this is this is not the ideal setup. But if you're riding to ride and you like steel, I mean, I don't think it would have bothered you so much. People get all mm-hmm. into um, you know, all sorts of stuff with steel actually being better riding off-road with you know, harmon- harmonic vibrations. Fake news. Yeah, fake news. <laughs> Go talk to the guys at Renee Hearst about that. They're really into it, all the, the Randonnée style approach steel and flexi is better and whatever else um the industry pushes the opposite so yeah i, I don't know I, I guess like you know maybe the question we're asking or, or a question to ask here is what are the bikes that we think mm-hmm. would be or what are the product you know what what frames and what do you hang off those frames my mind when we talk kind of the one bike to rule them all and something all road is a less progressive gravel bike progressive mm-hmm. meaning it's more slacked out. It's more for aggressive, gnarlier gravel riding. It has massive tire clearance. It's starting to really blur the line between a, a drop handlebar bike and a mountain bike. So a less progressive bike, mm-hmm. something like an Open, that kind of comes to mind mm-hmm. for me. Um, maybe something like a, a 3T or... Um, Even the Crux. A specialized yeah, that's what yeah. I've seen the most people use as the Crux. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm running that right now, and I didn't realize... As your gravel bike. As my gravel Mm -hmm. bike, and I didn't realize how, I guess, like, road bike-esque it is off-road until after I rode the Diverge STR Mm -hmm. and realized how progressive and comfy that is off-road compared to the Crux, where it's just like you're getting banged around. Right, right. But it's still a very, very comfortable and capable bike. You just have to ride it more like a road bike than a full-on gravel bike so then there's there's Mm -hmm. a question jeffrey you're riding a crux how do you have it set up 
I have 38 Pathfinders on it. Okay. And it's got a one by Axis group on it, mm-hmm. but it's not a Mullet group. It is the Explorer. Axis Explorer. Mm-hmm. So, so a little it's got, bit less range in the rear. Got the 1044 in the back. Uh-huh. It's got a 42 on the front. And if I were to try and use that as my quiver killer, it's undergeared on the road. Mm-hmm. So I think you can definitely change something like you that. Don't have to... a, you don't have a high enough gear. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely doesn't have that top end whenever you get over probably third, mid thirties or so, 30 miles right. an hour, you're going to be spun out. Mm-hmm. And I think you could definitely change the bike up to make it more of a one bike to rule them all. That's not what I've been going for. Sure. If I were, I think I would go two by. I would throw mm-hmm. a front derailleur on the front. With the SRAM gearing, you can have a 4633, I believe it is, in the front. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which, with that 10, is basically going to give you a 5011 gearing. Oh, wow. That's which real road gearing. Is, mm-hmm. is road gearing, completely. Yeah. And then you could still have an Explorer cassette on the back, which would be... A, so you'd have a 3344, and that's more than you would need off. So you'd have some super low undergear mm-hmm. stuff, which which we're seeing a lot more of that in progressive gravel bikes. Which I think then you would also need a second wheel set. That's I, my ideally, big thing, yeah, is yeah, a second yeah. wheel set is a game changer. Because that Explorer, you can keep the Explorer derailleur on there, and it goes up to the 44 max. Mm-hmm. So you can use that as your gravel cassette and then have a different cassette on your road wheels and have those super normal road gears then. Yeah, because the cassette goes down, I think, down to like a 34. Mm-hmm. So you could have just a regular road cassette up to a 34 on the back on road wheels, and then you basically have a road bike. Well, and then, I mean, it's probably implied, but also there would be different tires you'd put Absolutely. on those wheels, right? That's where you'd go maybe I, down from your 38s to a... Because there's no way you're changing tires every week, twice a week. like Not a chance. N- yeah. Not, that's, not that's, tubeless. People yeah. should know that, too, for this one bike to rule them all thing. In theory, yes, you can swap tires on the same wheel set. But now that pretty much everything mm-hmm. is tubeless, you keep a compressor at home, you keep sealant at home, you've got injectors, you've got all the best stuff to make tubeless easy. It's still a job. It's still a messy job. It's still a chore. And I can nearly guarantee that if you're putting any sort of volume in the on the bike, like Jack said, you're not changing no, tires no way. two times a week. No matter what you tell yourself now, you're not doing it. It's yeah. not going to happen. At the end of the day, all you want to do is ride. Like, right. Yeah. yeah that's so I, I, I thought this. about this. It's like no more than like a five minute 10 minute session in the garage you get it, get it from switch to road road bike to gravel bike would be like my max that's got takes more than that like see sometimes i'll think about them and be like oh it's just a quick tire swap and i'll get into oh. it and it will end up i'll hit some hiccup and it'll end up being an hour long like jump. for some reason this time the tire just yep. didn't and then you're seal yeah. that quick walking into the bike shop tail between your legs just yeah Oh, guys, I need or some help with this it's one. 10 p.m., you know, you're trying to do it for yep. the next day, and you don't get to go because, yep. or you got to go do it on the setup you didn't want to do it on. Yeah, it's been, so, there, been there far too many times. Mm-hmm. For the quiver killer, a necessity of the quiver killer is two sets of wheels. Absolutely. Something that's more road setup and something that's more gravel mm-hmm. setup. And then both of you said front derailleur, right? So I think it's I like front mm-hmm. yeah. you get a front derailleur, so you have the two by gearing because you're going to be just capable, just as capable on the road and off the road. And at this point, front trailers are pretty good. Love them or hate them, they don't drop chains that much anymore. No. They're doing a pretty good job. Well, we have, I also say would say that you probably should be looking at a gravel-specific group for your one bike to rule them all. Uh, in, mm-hmm. in that, you want to probably get the gear range that SRAM's um, Explore gear range offers. Mm-hmm. 
There are road gearing you can totally use on an Explore derailleur, but you cannot use the Explore gearing Correct. on the road derailleur. So you mm-hmm. get the bonus of just the capacity of gear range there. And then on the Shimano side of things, of course, the the newest level of GRX, mm-hmm. you've got, you know, clutched derailleur as well. Both both sides are, you know, claimed to have clutched derailleurs. We, you know, have our... Claim. Claimed. Claimed. <laughs> size claimed. But, uh, yeah, you get a clutched derailleur, you get a really good front derailleur on Shimano also. Um, but I, I probably wouldn't be doing this with a, for example, an Ultegra group. I don't think that's mm-hmm. the right call, even if you wanted to go two by. You can't necessarily get low enough gears. You don't have any clutch. Because you're clearing a 36 maybe in the back. At best. Yeah, yeah at that's best. the max. Yeah, that's 30, tough. Maybe even a 34. Yeah, it's not very good. So even if you want to do this on the road, you, you need a gravel group. Mm-hmm. Yes. Gravel or... With the mullet, there is the option of the one by. I mean, yeah, it, it's so hard. I think it it all comes down to you deciding to begin with what is your intended purpose of this one bike. Mm-hmm. If your intended purpose is racing gravel, I think you can go one by and use the bike to train on the road. Right. It's your winter bike. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You could do the majority of your riding on it so that you're comfortable with it because you can train on it all the time, no matter what you're going out to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you may be undergeared on some descents or something, but whenever it comes to actual racing, you're going to be well off. For sure. For sure. So it's, yeah, it's a matter of if you're, if you're the listener out there and you're, you're debating, man, can I, I really want to throw down, like, I'm going to spend a whole nest egg. Mm-hmm. Life savings is going into one bike. What bike do I get? These are just kind of the tips trying to get you there for mm-hmm. like, what makes the most sense. You, you need to have a little, you know, talk with yourself and be real. How am I going to do this? I think at the end of the day, no matter who you are and how well you do, you're going to have, you're going to end up having a compromise somewhere. Mm-hmm. This bike will not be perfect at everything. It cannot be perfect at everything. So you need to decide, are you more road leaning? Are you more gravel leaning? Are you more gravel adventure leaning within that Mm -hmm. are you more road race leaning like where do you where are you on this spectrum and once you settle in on that that you got to be real with yourself like 90 percent of the time you do this kind of thing then make sure your bike's really good at that right and then you have to understand your where you excel when it comes to riding also because if you're a very technically inclined rider maybe you can underbike a little bit and get Mm -hmm. away with it if you come from a mountain bike background or something and are really good at controlling your bike you you can under under bike that 100%. no problem but maybe if you are don't if you're new to riding or something and you're not used to riding technical terrain you're gonna want a progressive bike even if you're not riding like terrain that requires a progressive bike the majority of the time you want to make sure that you're safe for that little bit of time that mm-hmm. you do need it 100 percent. yeah i've heard so many stories of people that are more road leaning being really intimidated by gravel. They want to get into gravel. They want to try gravel. If that's the story you have, which is totally fine, a less progressive bike is not going to be viable for you. You're, mm-hmm. you're not going to enjoy yourself out there, and it's supposed to be fun. Right. So make sure you don't you know, uh, build in those margins and be real with yourself about what you need. Back to like the, the bike I tried to build, one of the challenges I faced was I wanted this to be really good at road, and when I had the one by on it, it wasn't as good at road. So for me and my purposes, like 95% of my rides were road, road type rides. I built this bike trying to do all, everything and it couldn't, it, it was, I would have had to have been willing to compromise on the road experience 
in order to make it capable of everything. But if 95% of my time's on the road, that makes no sense. Right. So you're going to have to be really honest with yourself. You may, maybe you need to talk to somebody else too and let them bring totally. you back down to earth. That might be a good, good tip. And don't just look at the pictures of what the pros are writing because Jeff made the really good point. The pros have the access to all the equipment. They're building stuff that is course specific. What they use is not what you need necessarily. Well, it's not what they're training on every day either. No, they have they mm-hmm. they they have the exact opposite. They're never going to use the one bike drill mall. They've got all yeah. the bikes in the garage. So what they have for that course and what they are running is probably not is probably the exact opposite of what you want from mm-hmm. a one bike drill mall. So like we see a ton of one by, but you hear us saying two by. Mm-hmm. That's because the one by that we see is race specific for gravel, and if it's if you're doing a quiver killer. One by is just not quite, you just miss out on the high end gearing or you miss out on the low end gearing or you miss out on the gear steps. You do a flat group ride. You're going to be hating that every shift feels like you shifted three times. Right. Yeah. So I, I think we've covered a lot of it, but saying we have a new rider coming into the sport, they want to get into it. They see all this gravel stuff. They maybe already have a, a cheaper road bike that they they've done some grand fondos or some weekend cruises on they want the one bike to rule them all what would you recommend to them ryan i think like kind of we mentioned earlier there's a few bike brands that do a less progressive geometry bike if if they sorry did you say this person's gonna do gravel events or they they probably will yeah primarily i i feel like there's a few people even in town that i've seen that they go buy a pretty what I would consider at this point an average progressive gravel bike, like kind of the the middle of the road, not the most slacked out, not the most upright. They buy a pretty middle of the road gravel bike and they use that almost stock setup to do everything. And I think if I was the average guy just getting into mm-hmm. it, that's what I'd be doing too. I think well, that's-, that's another question too is, do you buy the complete bike and then mm-hmm. swap parts around or do you buy a frame and build it up exactly how you want it from the start? Other than the math, it's pretty dang close on just buying a frame and keeping the almost just the wheels and swapping everything else out to make it a one bike to rule them all, or just going full frame up build. For that, I think it depends on how technically inclined you are, because that will Mm -hmm. involve you having to do a frame up build. If you are getting a shop to do it, it's going to be expensive. No doubt, it's not cheap to do that. Yeah, but if if you need if you even buy the complete and still want to swap parts, the shop's still going to have to swap it for you. Yeah, that fair point, fair point. So is, does anyone offer like an OEM setup right now mm-hmm. that kind of satisfies this? And I I think the bike industry doesn't want you to have one bike. Well. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they do. I don't think it currently is off the shelf ready to go. They uh, want you always to want to buy one more bike. They do. N plus one. Well, and I mean, I feel like if we were to settle in on one group set, most all of us here, I think, would agree. Correct me if I'm wrong. SRAM, Axis, Explore. Would that be with a double? Simply for... Uh, that, oh, that, that would be you only, you only need it for the rear trailer, though. Because you don't need axis? it. Yeah. Because you can run whatever chain ring and cranks you want in the front. They don't have to be the... Uh, I think it would have to be the wide. It'd have to be the wide, yeah for tire clearance though depending yeah d- depending on the size of chain ring you want to run or chain rings yeah yeah right because then the cassette you can still run the r- rival road or road cassette 
mm-hmm. in the rear, and then obviously the shifters are all in the same category. There's no difference there. I guess what I'm trying to get at is, is there a gravel bike out there that comes mm. set up with, it would probably come with Axis Explore 2 by. Is is there one out there that has no. that set up? None of the Explore derailers are technically compatible with a front derailleur. Right. They're all one by specific systems. Which that I don't understand. So when you buy a front derailleur from SRAM to do this, you're buying, and they don't make an Explore series front derailleur. It doesn't exist. I mean, it shouldn't be any different, right? There's no clutch on a front derailleur. All it does is drop your chain and pick it back up. Yeah, so it has more to do with that rear derailleur. So then what are, so is is, is the is the group set we're building something not endorsed by SRAM? Not at all. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. No, they, they claim all Explorer stuff is one by specific. So if someone really is going to be legalistic about what the brands say you can and can't do, are they left for what we're talking about looking at GRX? GRX, does the new stuff have two by? Mm-hmm. It does. A two by okay. option in the okay. newest GRX. Mm-hmm. There's no DI two yet. yet. But I would not even consider it after running electronic group sets to go back to mechanical. So that's that's a good one to bring up in here, and, and maybe part of the reason I was mentioning Axis is we were talking about it earlier today. If you ride in the dirt, there the axis or just electric shifting derailers are phenomenal mostly because once you start to pack in dirt and mud and dust and grime they keep shifting and cables don't at the end of the day there's just no getting around that you will in adverse conditions your shifting degrades dramatically Mm -hmm. quicker on a mechanical traditional mechanical group set than an electronic one so then that leaves us with really two brands making electronic shifting for off-road purposes but one brand hasn't released it yet yeah the di2 shimano's grx um they've done di2 in their 11 speed the prior generation they just released a new generation 12 speed but they've only released the mechanical so we're we know there's probably a di2 coming you just can't get it yet um I was also thinking, though, on the access side, we've talked a lot about, you know, with this one mic drum wall, the interchangeability. So -hmm. if you want this quiver killer and say 90% of the time, all you have to do is swap wheels, but every once in a while, you want to do a more dramatic swap. Access is the most Mm -hmm. versatile for doing that. So because you can't technically do two by on it, if you really wanted to, you could just have a road derailleur also. Because nope, no, nope, no, nope. not so doing easy. it. I'm not doing it. Drop nope. a road derailleur on there, throw on the front. Derailleur, Is it though? Like, that, basic, that's exact, gonna take you more than ten minutes. <laughs> it's gonna take more than ten minutes. I'm not will doing it? it. It's one bolt. Yeah, and you gotta get it aligned every time. You gotta use that plastic. Are you about and... changing the derailleur? Yeah. No. One bolt plus taking the chain off. Yeah. Putting the chain well, back on. I, well, that's so simple. This is. I want to turn this. If you were to run the 44 tooth on your gravel wheels and the 30, would you have to switch a chain as well every time? Possibly. Depended what you went down to. What do you mean? Oh, uh, on the front? Yeah. Uh, no, no. To the to your road cassette. The, to the thirty six. To the thirty six. Because you're running. Say you're running the rival Explorer derailleur. I that, bet if you cut the chain to the length of the forty four, it probably works on the thirty six without having a short. It's even easier than you just swapping wheels. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, the, what we were talking about this claimed clutch on. SRAM's mountain bike product, the clutch that they use in there is incredibly stiff and strong and works really, really well. Mm-hmm. 
when they launched the most recent generations of their road product for Axis, the electronic shifting, all these derailers have their orbital clutch. That orbital clutch, I think, is trying to use hydraulic fluid in the the B-knuckle, the clutch mechanism, instead of a mechanical clutch with a spring that's been done traditionally. What we've found with those orbital clutches is they're just not anywhere close to as strong as the mechanical ones. They, they don't, they aren't aren't nearly as stiff and you drop chain still. Mm-hmm. But I think the Axis Explorer and the regular Axis Road stuff are using the same clutch. Mm-hmm. So to your point, then if you're running two by, is the ultimate gravel group for one bike to rule them all actually road group? Have we changed our tune? Are we, are we going? Oh. No, we're well, no, back they, to, they, you to can't, mullet. You can't mullet clear group. your 44. You can't clear the 44, so you still have to have the Axis Road Raider. And we're just running it against Tram's wishes with a front trailer. Unless you think that a 36 in the back and a 33 in the front would be viable. For gravel? Yeah. You're already undergeared by a few teeth at that point. Yeah. So I, I probably, I think my for hard courses, I think one-to-one is kind of the bare mm-hmm. minimum mm-hmm. for anyone. If you had a you know 33 with a 33, you'd be okay. But just a little extra, one more shift is kind of nice to be a little undergeared. So I think a 33-36 gets you that. Oh. I think for an entry-level rider, you would want much lower. Yeah, maybe. maybe. I know running a 42 on the front last year with a mullet setup on that STR, mm-hmm. some of those courses, granted, they were some pretty brutal off-road courses with <laughs> yeah. some steep sections. Mm-hmm. But that happens. I was in that 52 on the or 50 on the on back, back with a 42. Yeah. That's a drop eight. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. But again, we're trying to get somebody one bike that can do everything. If you knew that was the lowest you can do, and this is the right setup, generally speaking, for you. Then you chose poorly. <laughs> you chose poorly. <laughs> so somebody's got some some good athletic background. They've got some serious chops for riding. Uh, you know they're going to be an accomplished rider, but they're new to it. 36 in the back with a 33 in the front going to do the trick? Are they intending to try and race, like race, race, or are they someday? Not yet. Right now, they're just completing races. But they are going to continue to have the same bike for a while. They're probably going to have this a while. Yeah. You go mullet. You go mullet. Mm. So that that is back to the. Well, then again, if you're truly new to the sport, big gear steps, you you don't know any different. That's true. That's a good point. No problem. Your knees will. So then, then you go straight to the transmission derailleur in the back. 100%. (laughs) (laughs) That helps you pick your bike because there's only a few that offer uh, UDH compatibility. I guess, too, with this, you know, I hope this is enlightening for everyone listening or watching. It's hard to do this. Extremely hard. We we came in, I think, with some ideas. We wanted to have free-form conversation on this, and we've we've all spent hours before talking Mm -hmm. about this, debating how do you do it, what would you do, what would you do. And we start thinking about it, and it's, it is really freaking hard to pull off. Yeah. It's it's not something that you're going to be settling on, I don't think. You have to compromise somewhere. Yes. So it, it all comes down to that, is you have to compromise. So you really got to just analyze what you're doing and pick based on that. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of it, too, could be if you're someone who's always wanting the, your bike never feels quite right, it might not be the move for you. Mm. Just pick one bike, save up for another year or two, and get the other bike, and That's then you have point. both. Because if, if it's going to be unhappy the whole time, it's probably not worth doing it. This might be the laziest perspective on that ever, 
but one reason, especially after my failed attempt at one bike to rule them all that I really started to appreciate dedicated bikes is the bikes are ready to go. You mm-hmm. end up setting them up the way you use them most of the time, and you're not having to change between. And there's something to be said, especially if you train regularly, you're riding regularly, you have limited hours to be on the bike, to know that you can go out to the garage and your road bike's a road bike. What about the person who doesn't do a lot of gravel events, doesn't do a lot of road events? What's the ability to do it? Or maybe doesn't do events. I think it's, that's, it's for that person. The one bike to rule them all? Yeah. Yeah. Because their bike around... needs to be good enough to do all the rides they want to do. They don't really care about performance or winning the race or whatever. It's good enough to get them up and down the hill through that segment of dirt or whatever. And they're not going for the KOM. They're not going for this or that. They're just trying to get big rides done or whatever it is or all their training rides done. It's probably more for that person. Like go out on an adventure with their buddies on the weekend. That type, same type person thing. that is that the Garmin watch is for. Yeah. They're yeah, a runner. They're an athlete, but bike is just one of their hobbies. Yeah, maybe they're going to enter a triathlon someday. Can you use your gravel bike at a triathlon? Absolutely. Why not? Yeah, they're going to maybe try riding it to work a little bit. Is this bike going to work for that? Sure. Somebody invites them on a group ride. They can go do it, but it doesn't mean they're doing it every week. Maybe that kind of person who's just like active and they're getting into bikes. Mm-hmm. I feel like bikes are especially gravel bikes are kind of trendy. I mean, you've got that buddy who bought that Canyon mm-hmm. and it, it's not like he's trying to become a pro gravel racer. He's just a runner or whatever. Yeah. Right. And he's diversified. And that's where we kind of nerd out on the bikes. Like we, do. we, we completely nerd out on them. And I, frankly, we overthink all of it too. Oh yeah. So easy Whereas to. some of the, the majority of people that ride bikes probably could care less <laughs> if you're lagging a little bit here and there most of that stuff doesn't really matter. Like like if you're want to go one bike for the simplicity and you have the big gear jumps on the road and then if that's all you know, that's all you know. And you're not going to complain about it. You're saying as long as you're as fast as your friend or the group you ride with, that's as fast as you need to be because you're not going to leave them behind ever. So people getting into racing, it gets much harder to have that one bike to rule them all and be satisfied in every discipline they're going to do. So if you're, not already a huge bike enthusiast you don't consider cycling bike riding that's not how you identify that's not your main hobby that's not your one sport that's not the one thing you do you run you hike you have other activities you like to do that you spend a lot of time doing and biking is one more in that list the one bike to rule them all especially if it's a gravel bike is incredibly viable it's the way to go it's Mm -hmm. it's the way to go yeah yeah it's when you, you're going to get to a point if you get really into it as that type of rider mm-hmm. where you might start recognizing these compromises that we've been talking about. And that's where you can maybe, you may have to invest in another bike. And that's where the one bike to rule them all thing is kind of your entry into cycling. Mm, and yes. then once you get into cycling and maybe you start to realize what you enjoy more, you can then go from there and and pick multiple bikes for each discipline mm-hmm. or so. Yeah. It's just that the or one you, bike to you rule sell them the all. one bike to rule them all and buy a road bike because <laughs> yeah. you ride just the road ninety five percent of the time. Them. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I, I we kind of summed it all up. T- I think today. I think so. We think, had a good little conversation. I mean, like to it's put it in like a sentence. Like the consensus is one bike to rule them all is totally viable and works for somebody who isn't the enthusiast and this isn't 
that they're not they're they maybe are more novice and new to the sport and new to writing that is who one bike mm-hmm. to rule them all is for so do not fall into the trap if you're an enthusiast and you've got a, a quiver of bikes in the garage already of trying to replace them with one bike we don't think you're going to enjoy it it's not going to yeah. be as fun it's not for everyone that was like three sentences or four but you know uh, no big deal <laughs> So I think that about wraps up this episode. Yeah, Thank you guys for listening. Yeah. Live studio audience today. Yes, it is. All right. Catch us on the next one. Thanks for watching Bikes, Beers, and Burritos.